Now, to the book of the Revelation. I, this, is, this is probably, I, I don't know that I'll be able to finish this because it's going to take, it would take several weeks of, of preaching and teaching to go all the way through the book of the Revelation. And I'm, as for those of you who come on Wednesday nights, you know that I'm preaching through 1 Samuel and, and teaching 1 Samuel. So I've laid it aside because of the times that we're in. And I thought it might be good for us to reflect on, the, on some things uh, to see that, uh, that we, we have a, a grasp. You know, Christians should not have a spirit of fear. Even, even if a plague is sweeping the world, uh, the uh, the uh, <laughs> the Lord has promised to to take care of us, whether we're dead or alive. We're going to be taken care of. A spirit of fear is not ours. This is a challenging time, but it's a great opportunity for us to tell people. You know what? If you're afraid, if you're afraid, then you need to you need to you need to get. You need to know the Lord, or you need to get closer with the Lord. Um, he'll take care of us. His word is not there for for the believer. His word is not there to frighten us, or or it's there to comfort us, to tell us where we're going, to tell us where we are and where we're headed. We study it to that end, and we believe it, and we know it. And there's something else that's really in in the essence of my being, like never before. And that is that, that Christ is coming soon. I, do, I tell you, there are too many things happening. I was looking at a thing. I'm, my favorite TV channel these days, I guess, is YouTube. And, you know, you can search subjects that you're interested in. And I noticed today about uh, the earthquake in Utah and the global activity. This, um, this is not a religious, not a prophetic thing on YouTube. It was just a, a person. It was a, a website dedicated to uh, tracking and keeping up with uh, earthquakes. Through the, the title of today's was Global, Global, was it Earthquake or Seismic Activity? Seismic, global seismic activity. And I haven't seen that title before on, on this particular thing that we look at from time to time. Well, we know that our Lord told us that, uh, that there would be earthquakes in diverse places as a sign of the end. There's so many other things. I'm not going to get into all that or I'm not going to get to the revelation. So have we hit 6 o'clock? Yes, my heavens. I want to start in the Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19. And then I'll go back to verse 1. But verse 19 is the outline of the book of the Revelation. So let's just look at it. Uh, so write the things you have. Now, the, the Greek is itis. And that means the things that you have seen and perceived. So John is the last of the living apostles. Now there's all this stuff that has developed through the years about how, how there's been a guy that has a better idea about when the Revelation was written and so forth. It's just all hogwash because from the earliest times in the church, 
It's always been known that the last living disciple, John, John the Beloved, who wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, that he is the author of the Revelation. And no, no, I'm not even going to quibble about that. Also, the overwhelming and profound evidence is that it was written in around A.D. 95, which, may, which means that John would have been 90 years old, maybe a little older. He was younger than Jesus. Uh, so he could have been late 80s, early 90s. He was a very old man, and he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, which was a penal uh, colony. Uh, prisoners were there. So, so that's the background. You have the last living disciple who's going to write the last book of the Bible. I want to, before I get to verse 19, I would like to go back, if I could, to the little book of Jude, which precedes in, our, in, the, in the Christian New Testament, it precedes the Revelation. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm doing a teaching on a podcast with the book of Jude, uh, and th- this is something that Jerry Vines said when he was interviewed some months back about his book on Jude that he wrote. Now, Jerry Vines is a retired Southern Baptist pastor, a scholar in his own right, a great expositor of the word, great pre- preacher, served as a pastor for decades in some of the greatest churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. And I listened to his... Uh, Interview and he made an interesting and really good point. He said, our, our Lord, the Holy Spirit of God, saw fit to precede the last book of the Bible, which takes us to the end of the time and to the new heaven and new earth, saw fit to precede that book, the last book of the Bible, with the little book of Jude. And the little book of Jude is a warning to the church about... Uh, false teachers that would come in in a way that would be hidden. And then they would lead people away from the, uh, the, great, the great foundational truths of Christianity. And these, these false doctrines and false teachers were already operating uh, in, the, in the first century. Uh, and just to look at Jude just a, just a wee bit here, um, he talks about them, and here, here is the and his warning. This is a warning from Jude. Oh, we gotta have we must be diligent uh, concerning our common salvation. And I, I'm compelled by necessity to write you to exhort to that you would contend earnestly, that you would agonize for for the and in the Greek it says for the once for all having been delivered to the saints' faith. (laughs) For the faith that has been once for all delivered to the saints. You can't change it. The New Testament Testament doctrine and the foundation of Christianity and the principles of salvation, all those are unchangeable. Those are fixed in eternity. But he's talking about these guys that come in secretly and somehow they are able to gain influence in the church. And he says, he says, here, here's what they do. Primarily two things. Number one, these ungodly, these un, unrighteous, unpious men have changed 
the grace of our God into sensuality, uh, into the felt passions and needs of an individual, which in their teaching, it would, su it would supersede grace. Your feelings are more important. Uh, it's, it's the kind of thing where people say, God loves you regardless, you know. Um, God's going to take care of you and all this kind of thing. That's true. It's really not true. Um, God, God unconditionally loves his own. And he has a very strict protocol of how he takes care of his own. But those rules only apply to his own. So they're going to come in and they're going to change the grace of God to, to sensuality, to, to passions. Uh, maybe an, an older version might translate that word uh, licentiousness or something. But it, it, in the greater context, it has to do with sexuality. All right? So they changed the grace of our God into sensuality. And number two, they deny our only Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. So they deny the sovereignty of God. They think that they have to do some things to help Jesus along in his church and saving his people. We've got to do something. We've got to add something to that. We've got to add our works to this and all this kind of thing. And then they think that, it's, that we're free to do whatever we want to do. And all we have to do is just claim to be a Christian or something and, and change the grace of God into something else. Well, that's, of course, ridiculous. He goes on and he talks about how uh, he compares them to, for example, he compares them, I'm in Jude right now, he compares them to Sodom and Gomorrah, um, and uh, he talks about uh, this, uh, how, how they, they pursue uh, alien flesh or strange strange flesh and and so they they present sexuality as as something that whatever anybody wants it to be can be and still be a christian and 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 so it seems to me in the greater context of Jude, one of the great dangers is that the church can can begin to agree to unnatural things. Uh, even though the Bible is so replete with uh, with teaching about that, okay. Now that's interesting to me that that teaching in the little book of Jude would precede the book of the Bible that carries us to the consummation of the age. Uh, and that's just a thought that was born in the wisdom of Jerry Vines, but that I've really reflected upon and thought about for quite some time. Uh, now, back to verse 19. This is the outline of the revelation. He says, write. This is an imperative. Uh, Grapsum. So, so write the things, number one, that you have seen and perceived. Now, it's one thing to see something, but it's something else completely and entirely different to perceive it, to know what you're looking at. That's why I think there's so many 
Bible-believing preachers on YouTube just in the last few days talking about the second coming of Christ because all of these things in the world are converging at once. And Jesus said to Luke, when you see these things begin to come to pass, look up, lift up your heads, your redemption draweth nigh. And I could be here the rest of the night talking about the thing. You know, the, a third of the Bible is prophecy. And a small percentage of that prophecy was fulfilled in the first coming of Christ. The, the greater fulfillment of prophecy comes in the second coming of Christ and the events that have to do with uh, the tribulation and then his glorious second coming and the setting up of the kingdom uh, here on earth. So he says, right therefore, the things that you've seen, you've perceived it. You know what you're looking at when you see it. That's number one. So that's Roman numeral number one of the outline of the revelation. Roman numeral number two. And the things that, that are, that exist, the things, the things that exist presently. So after he writes, we go back to verse one for, for Roman numeral number one that he writes about here in 19 for first part. Then, then you would move on from there to the seven churches of the Revelation, which were in existence at the time of John's writing. So he says, then write the things that are. And then he describes these seven churches and the problems that some of them have and, and how things really are and talks about the overcomer and he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We'll talk more in depth about that at another time. That's Roman numeral number two. So the things that you've seen and perceived, the things that are in existence now that you know about, and then number three, the things that are about to take place after these, after these two. So the, the last part of that phrase in the Greek, meta tata. Now chapter four starts with those same two, those same two Greek words. So chapter 4 begins Roman numeral number 3. Uh, chapters 2 and 3 would be the things that are, which are the seven churches of the Revelation. And chapter 1 would be Roman numeral number 1. Write what you have seen. Now what does he say there? Why, write what you have seen. Okay. Let's go back now to verse 1. The prologue to, this, to the book of the Revelation, the first three verses. Uh, Apocalypsis Jesu Christu, <laughs> the unveiling of Jesus Christ, the, the opening of the curtain, the manifestation of Jesus Christ. I think about this. Christian theology was in its infancy at the end of the first century. People were scattered around and by this time, quite a few of them had come out of pagan cultures. Uh, the, the church, that is, had come out of pagan cultures. And there was, such a, there was such a wide cultural gap between the Gentiles who were coming into Christianity and to the Jews who laid the foundation of the church, the believing Jews, who, uh, who, who formed the early church, and then from them went forth the word of God. So people have a, a hard time understanding 
the incarnation of deity, that, that a God could become a man and then do the things that Jesus did and then be raised up from the dead and ascended to heaven. So the, the matter of the deity and the all, the, the all power of Christ, th those matters had to be settled early. Uh, and so, so that people could understand, uh, go back to the ascension. Jesus is on that hill and those people are surrounding him. And it says he was lifted up. The Greek word means the Greek word means very similar to what the Hebrew means back over in um, back over in Isaiah when Isaiah said, "I saw him high and lifted up." Nasa uh, is the root of that in the Hebrew, and he saw one whose train filled the temple, and he was exalted. He was lifted up. He was. Highly lifted up above above others. That's the idea. It's not it's not just that he defied gravity, but it is that he is exalted. So, his prayer of John seventeen now is coming down upon him. Philippians two said that he didn't count it robbery. He didn't think that it was something that should be held onto at all costs, namely his deity. That he laid that aside. He laid his. He laid his deity as the Son and the peculiar glory that belongs to God the Son. He laid that aside, became a man, okay? That's the incarnation. Uh, that's God becoming a man. But then he prayed in John 17, when all this is over, give me the glory back that I had with you from before the world ever was and let them see it. So he's ascending into heaven in this glory, this enswathement is bursting forth Perhaps a glimpse of it was seen on the Mount of Transfiguration, but this, this glory. And so they stand there, you know, they're in the, the Greek, it means that they were gazing, they were dumbfounded, they didn't know what to do. They just, all they could do was stare. Man, look at him. You know, he looks like the Ancient of Days going up there. He had a hair like, we're going to see how he was described in his ascension. He didn't look like that, but now this glory is becoming upon him. And um, so the church has to understand that, that Christ is eternal. He's, he's eternal God. God became a man in Christ Jesus. Um, and the only way we will, you know, God is so great, we'll never know all there is to know about God. He's God. But what we can know about him, he revealed in Jesus Christ and of course the incarnate word and then the, the written word as well, the living word and the written word. And this is how we know who he is. So the unveiling of Jesus Christ was a gift from the Father to the Son. The Father, it says here, the manifestation, the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show to his slaves, his bondservants, his slaves, what things were necessary to happen, to, to take place in quickness. Okay. The Father 
the Son only operates in the will of the Father. That's just the way it is. So the Father gave this gift to the Son that He could be unveiled. And this revelation, this unveiling of who He is, is the whole thing of the book of the Revelation. He is, he is, he is unveiled to us. And look at the great power and glory that is His. He he sends forth mighty judgment down upon the world until the world is reeling and finally is destroyed in his powerful and glorious second coming. And then he establishes this wonderful kingdom, which is a, a promise kept to so many of the Old Testament saints and, and prophets. It's a thousand-year kingdom. And then that kingdom closes out uh, when Satan is loosed for a little season and then there's this, this war and this trouble that happens and then Christ puts it all down and delivers the kingdom up to the Father and there's a new heaven and a new earth. And he has the power to do all that. Think of that. Think of that. He has the power to cleanse the earth, to totally judge the earth, to bring the earth down to establish a worldwide kingdom unlike anything that mankind had ever known on earth and then to bring that kingdom to a close with the absolute destruction of Satan and all of his demons and all of the enemies because all of his enemies are locked into Hades, which is, which is the death row, until Hades spits out its inhabitants in the... Uh, in the, the, its inhabitants into the lake of fire. So uh, what power? And then, and then there's recreation. First of all, the great white throne. And then, um, and, and then the, uh, the, 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 the dissolution of everything, the earth and the heavens fly away. And then the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. What power that there is. Um, check it and make sure I'm still on. I got a note here from somebody that says I was live and now I'm gone. <laughs> um, but I'm going to keep going like I'm live, okay? So this is great power. Well, this is a gift the Father, in the will of the Father, the Son now can unveil himself. But he's going to do it through his last living apostle, John. And so he's going to show his slaves the things necessary that are to take place. And when they happen, they're going to take place in quickness, in taki, in quickness, in, in, in sync, in, in synchronized quickness. You've heard it probably, uh, taki, the, the, the word there, we get our word tachometer from that Greek root. You've probably heard that. Uh, so we, we see that uh, what happens when it begins to happen and the final unveiling of who Christ is, which happens in the tribulation and his second coming, when those things begin to take place, they'll take place in quickness. That's what he means. It doesn't, he's not saying this is about to happen. He doesn't say that. What he's saying is it's necessary for them to happen, and when they happen, they'll happen quickly. It'll be one thing right after another, just like the Bible has said. Now, 
Let's bring that to the day in which we live. How many people have I heard say, man, things are sure changing at a fast pace. This world is flipping upside down and the crazy ideas and teachings and the and the, how the church is turning against the, the, the Christ and his church and it's just happening so fast. Well, that's exactly what he said would happen at the close of the age. As he continuing, and he signified it. Uh, it's it's a it's that that uh, he he would use signs. So that's why that's why you see so many signs in in the Revelation. He he signifies it. He signifies it. Okay. Uh, he's going to give. He's going to give a, a, a way to his, to his servant, uh, John, uh, to write down how these things are going to happen, and then the Holy Spirit will unveil to us how these, what these all mean. And he signified it, having sent, having sent through his angel, uh, thank you, thank you, Brother Vic, having sent through his angel to his servant, John. So it's a gift from the Father to the Son that the church is going to have the truth of the deity of Christ unquestioned. I mean, this is already a teaching in the New Testament, but this is going to be a, a powerful closing to the Word of God. God became a man. And he's coming back. So uh, he gives it to his servant John. This is the last living disciple who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ all as much as he saw. Uh, how much he saw, exactly what he saw. So he's not going to John is not going to be a biased writer when he writes. He's going to write what he sees. And he's not going to add to it. He's not going to take away from it. He's going to write what he sees. So you and I have the assurance that this is, this is, the, this is the correct record of who Christ is. Blessed is the one, blessed is the one reading. It's in the masculine, I guess you say, blessed is he reading this. Blessed is the one reading and those hearing the words of the prophecy and keeping the things, guarding, that word, uh, terentes, that's a military word, it means to guard, to, to put a sentinel guard. So you're going to guard this truth, the deity of Christ, that judgment is coming, that lost people are going to go to hell in the lake of fire, saved people are going to rule and reign with Christ and then finally be taken into the new heaven and the new earth and escape the final judgment, the great white throne judgment because we're saved by the blood of the Lamb. So we're blessed. Let me talk about that blessed Makarios, blessed. 
I did a study on that word several years ago, many years ago, in my early days of studying Greek when I was studying the Beatitudes. And the word has its roots in classic, classical Greek. And the word was used by the old Hellenic philosophers and uh, the Alexandrian, the Alexander the Great teachers to describe the island of Cyprus, which in those days was a perfect paradise to them. It was beautiful. It had fresh, beautiful, crystal clear water bubbling through its brooks and springs. Something was always in blossom. It smelled so beautiful. The fruits and the flowers, the fruit trees, always blossoming, and their blossoms were so sweet and fragrant. And it was the belief of the ancient Greeks that Cyprus was the early abode of the gods, the Greek gods. And so they used, they created this word, that's what they say in classical Greek. They created this word, makarios, to describe, to, to describe a state of mind and a state of existence that is perfect. It is so abundant with sweetness and wonder and peace and all that anyone could ever want was there on the island of Cyprus. And so such a place was a place that provided abundance, perfect perfect existence and peace. So if you want to use that, you can see how now the Holy Spirit of God uses this word, makarios. Blessed is the reader of this book. You know, if you're a believer, man, what's not to be blessed about reading this book? And blessed are those who hear the words of the prophecy. This is a book of prophecy because once these things all take place, you see, it's prophetic. It's, they're going to take place quickly, and then, then we will be to the last chapter or two, which is the new heaven and the new earth, and only God knows what we will experience after that. So we have, a, we have a blessing to read it. We are blessed when we read it. We are blessed when we hear it, and we know that it's a prophecy. So how can anybody else say that it's something other than prophecy? And guarding the things that have been written in it, having been written in it, guarding, keep them, guard them. Don't let anybody mess with it. This is the way it is. For the time is, uh, the time is in place. The time is near. The time is in, it's already been set in place. And it's coming, it'll be here. And we may, be seeing, we may be seeing and experiencing shades of it even now. Uh, with what, but we're not afraid. We have no fear. Our Lord is in control of this whole thing. He told us we know how it's all going to end because we're looking at it right here. We know exactly what's going to happen. So that's the, that's the prologue. Uh, that's part of Roman numeral number one, but it's, it doesn't complete Roman numeral number one until we get to the end of of chapter one, but we'll stop there, okay? And uh, please remember to look at your prayer lists that were sent out on the Shiloh page. That's the same list that you would have gotten tonight 
in, in prayer meeting and Bible study uh, and for our deacon prayer time. So take the time uh, tonight to pray for all of those who are on there and who have requested prayer uh, from the Shiloh Baptist Church. But for now, let's close in prayer, okay? Father God in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to carry on our Wednesday night service even though we're having to do it like this. But thank you for the opportunity to do it online. Thank you for all who have watched and who are listening. And I pray your blessings to be upon us. Father, I pray that we'll all be kept from harm and sickness and illness. And for those who might be sick, I pray your healing touch to be upon them. But help, help us most of all, Lord, to know that we're not to live in fear. We have faith. These things, regardless of how bad they are, cannot make us afraid because we stand on the rock. And we thank you for that rock who is our Lord Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen.